0: Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts.
1: Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
0: If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance free towing and car rental options at no additional cost get your free quote today at carshield.com audio that's carshield.com audio don't you love an extra hundred dollars in your pocket Dr. Doreen Grand Pichet is the. Dr. Doreen is an expert in autism.
1: Doreen Grand Dr. Grand Pichet. Dr. Doreen Grand
0: Dr. Doreen Grand is a visionary in the field of autism. Now you can ask her questions on Ask Dr. Doreen. Good morning and welcome to Ask Dr. Doreen on the Autism Network. I'm Shannon Penrod and I am here with the fabulous, the wonderful Dr. Doreen Grand-Boucher. I'm going to allow you to say something. Good morning. <laughs> Try something good different. Good morning. <laughs> so thrilled to be here with her. Uh, I, I sort of wish our audience could have been here for the last couple of minutes because she already got me crying this morning. Um, I've already had to mop down once, so it's going to be a good one. Excited to be here with all of you. Thrilled to be on our new set. And uh, enjoying being in the same room together. It's lovely. It's I, so
1: lovely, yeah. And Trevon's done such a wonderful job with all the background. And
0: yes, everything. he's worked himself to the, to the nubbin, as my grandmother used to say. <laughs> worked himself to the nubbin. So we're thrilled to be here with you. You guys know that what the mission is. Uh, Always, we want to provide information and inspiration, and Dr. Doreen is here to answer your questions live. Some of you have already started writing in. Some of you wrote in um, during the last week and overnight. Some of you emailed me. Those are all viable ways. We want to let you know that we are live right now, and so you can log on to Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Twitter. And send your questions in there. But we're also live on about twelve other sites. Traven will start to show them to you. The fabulous Traven will start to show them to you. Remember that the show uh, is also available in podcasts. In fact, this is now—I think—we are officially at eleven years now that we've been doing the show. Uh, Crazy, right? And um, so we have that archive of all the complete shows is available video and audio on YouTube, and the audio. Uh, is available right now on pretty much every platform that there is that you can get a free download from. We've worked really hard over the last 11 years to make sure that you can get the content for free. So if there's a place where you don't see us and you would really like to see us, please make sure that you let us know. I also want to do a programming note that now, as part of the Autism Network, Autism Live, and all the entities in the Autism Network, including Ask Dr. Doreen, we are now actively taking sponsors. Mm -hmm. Which is, you know, we used to, when we were in studio, show you commercials and interstitial things. And we stopped doing that in COVID. And we, uh, as you imagine, in order to have it be no cost to you, we need to keep lights running. So we are now looking for sponsors. If you or uh, someone you know has a business that would like to advertise on anything on the Autism Network, obviously it ha- we have to be like-minded. Right. We're, we're a little Absolutely. fussy. It's- I will say that we're a little fussy because we want to make sure that it's a benefit to the people who are viewing. Um, But we're looking for sponsors. That's wonderful. If you want to know more about that because you would like to sponsor or have advertising on our website or on our shows, uh, you can write to us at marketing at autismnetwork.com. We really appreciate that. And if any of our viewers hook us up with a sponsor, I'm going to give them a free signed book. So there's that oh, one wonderful. of one of my books. So anyway, so thrilled that you guys are here. I do want to start off this morning uh, by reminding everybody that the, our disclaimer that we do. Dr. Doreen Grampiche is a true expert in the field of autism. She's been working in this field for more than 40, 40 years. More than 40 years. I know you could never tell by looking at her. But uh, she has a vast amount of experience working with individuals from very young babies up through senior citizens. She is renowned for being someone who is considerate of the individual and their needs and fighting for their rights and for them to be able to learn what is appropriate and necessary and, and of benefit to them. Um, and using the highest quality uh, and ethics always. So there's nobody better to ask a question, but there is no one in this format that could give you individual-specific advice. So write, be as specific as possible. And I just said to you, you can write in on all of those platforms, or you can write to me at shannon at autism-live.com. Um, and I I have a question that I want to start with today that is rather a long one, so I'm going to paraphrase a little bit. But we had a mom, an amazing mom, write in with an elopement issue. Mm -hmm. So um, this is a 5-year-old, and he is, I think, a mechanical genius, is what I want to say, and he knows what he wants, and what he wants is to be outside the door. Now, in their apartment... Previously there was management that was working at the apartment and they were made aware of the fact that this young man is a flight risk. But now management has changed a little bit. And the last couple of days in this horrible heat wave that we were having, their air conditioning went out. Oh, yeah. And at one point they were waiting for the air conditioning man to come to the door and there was a knock at the door and mom thought it was the air conditioning. Now she's got locks. She already has a hotel lock, but this is how brilliant this kid is. He has learned that if you open the door, open and close it several times, that you can work the hotel lock to the place where you, I mean, this is five-year-old. He's yeah. figured this out. Yeah. And there's other locks on the door, and he's figured those out as well, too. So he had had to put a chair up to be able to get the highest lock that she did, and she has several locks. He got out. Yeah. She got, and she went to the door, and I think he was so brilliant that he closed the door behind him. She heard a knock at the door, went, saw a chair by the door, and was like, what's, what's going on? on? Yeah. Opened the door, and it was the new staff um, that the real estate company has uh, saying, you know, we have your child. Yeah, That he was down the street. And they kind of shamed her yeah. and, you know, read her the riot act about that. And she obvi- she's really traumatized by the entire thing. A little bit afraid that they're gonna report her to social services well, and what that will be like, of right? Yes. So, you know, she she made the decision, hard decision, but went out and bought a lock, an internal lock that is key only. Yeah. Now there's some concern about that because she Safety. is set yeah, yeah. Yeah, course. she says, What if we need to get out? Um, but she says I can't have him leaving and obviously the measures I took before, and she said, I'm I'm having you know, these, like, waking terrors where she said, I know in my heart he can't get out now, mm-hmm. but I still feel like he can. Yeah. So she had concerns about uh, if if yeah. Child Protective Services show up and how you explain this to them, because some of them don't understand. It's true. Um, and what to do about the feeling, doctor Grampiche, about still being concerned that he can get out, even though she feels very strongly. Now, the other thing, because I asked her for an update in the night, she said that he... This is how smart this kid is. Uh, he went to the door, and he, and he let her know. He said, someone's knocking. Because he wanted to see her use the key wow. to open the door. Wow! And, and so and she opened the door, but she took the key back and whatever. But she said, I know he wanted to see how that lock works.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. And in my heart, I think
0: he's going to, you know, he's going to you know, now he knows there's a key. He's going to try to find the key and yeah. the Or okay. find a key. He's going to make it his business. Yep.
1: Yep. So I think there's, like, a couple of different parts to this question. <laughs> you think? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, let's address the, the I guess, the safety stuff first, which yeah. I think is the most important. And, um, and then we'll talk a little bit about some things you could do to teach him to not actually go out. Yeah. And then I want to also talk about kind of the anxiety mom has around this. So uh, the first thing is make sure, I would, if I, uh, for anyone whose child is an eloper, I would really do a number of different things. First of all, you know, mom's done a fantastic job with putting a lock. I would really use the type of locks that now exist where if the door opens, a very loud alarm goes off. I hate to say this because it is a little bit disturbing to everyone, but you kind of need that. I mean, that's part of, you know, unfortunately, our children don't read the, I guess, the stimuli that are in our environment that teach us to be aware of danger. And so you have to make it a little bit more obvious. And let me tell you, I actually, my daughter, who's in San Francisco, I just put one of those locks on her apartment because I'm just a little, cons- you know, overly right. concerned about being in the middle of the city, and it is loud. <laughs> like I cannot tell you how it's scary. You will startle, right? Yeah. And and I think that it's that's important for a number of different reasons. One is that you know, anytime he gets out, mom is informed. Yeah. Secondly, he will be startled, and I think being startled, he may avoid it. Like, it might be a aversive stimulus that he will no longer be so interested in. Yeah. And these um, noise locks, so they so that's one thing, and you have to get one of the ones where turning it on and off is not obvious. Like, right. there are, and I have to tell you, nowadays, there's also g p s that you can actually put on him in some yeah. form or another he doesn't need to know that it's g p s you can either do it in the form of a bracelet a watch um there's even small tags that you can sew into the clothing and I would definitely do that there's like there's no reason not to do this because it's it's dangerous right yeah. i mean and our kids so that's very important. Uh, A lot of parents, I think, also talk to the local authorities and make sure that the local authorities know the child and know the family and know what's going on so that if they should come across this type of situation, they know how to act. The neighbors as well. I mean, I'm I'm going a little overboard with this because I've just heard so so. many stories where if only one of these things had been done, it would have made a big difference, right? So I think... Those are all factors that are important. In terms of teaching it, you know, our kids are curious, and I think you don't necessarily want to uh, discourage the curiosity, but your point here is to try to get your child to understand that if they want to go out, they have to have you with them. And so that is a thing you got to teach them separately so that it's not always you being the one that takes them out, right? So. You, you have to have a scenario where you can have the child actually come up to you and say, can we go out? Yes. And so at certain times of the day, you allow that. Yes. And if he comes to you and says, can we go out? You go out and you just explore. You don't necessarily immediately get into the car. You explore the neighborhood. Right. And so that he, your child knows that there is a way to go out, but it has to be together with you. Yeah. right? So we used to, and if you have, you know, like when when you have a team of ABA therapists, this is one of those things where you can actually have the therapist hiding outside, and if the child does make it out, then they jump up, startle the child, and say, no, nope, you know, and teach the child this is not the way to go. Where's mom? And yeah. the child has to go back and get mom. So it, it, there is there are procedures, and I think that mom has... You know, kind of trial and error. Yeah, mom, mom or dad, I'm not sure who's mom, writing it. has definitely come to learn things that are going to help, and yeah. and you're already doing those. So I also just want to touch briefly on kind of the anxiety and yeah. the and also the um, the worry about how people are perceiving you. I actually talked a lot about this last week on the show that I did about anxiety, Shannon. And it was, it's really interesting for me because every time I get into a subject like anxiety, then I see it in my own world all the time. Mm -hmm. Like this morning, as I told you, uh, the first message I got was someone telling me that our house in Florida, the the door was wide open at 5 a.m., So, and we're not there, obviously. And so you basically start immediately your mind, exactly. (laughs) And so this is all about those things that are called cognitive distortions. They're Mm -hmm. false beliefs, right? That our mind has learned over time to develop these patterns of making conclusions based on certain things. And yeah, I mean, it's logical to assume oh, there might be some mischief if my door is wide open because usually that door is locked, right? Right. And so you can go down that path and you will worry until someone gets there, right? Right. Right. Or you can stop yourself and say, what are other possibilities here? And am I actually, you know, I went through all these distortions and a lot of the things like maximizing the negative, minimizing the positive, or all or none thinking, or catastrophizing, right? Oh, I'm thinking, good at that one. Thinking of a <laughs> catastrophe, which so rarely occurs. And instead, just calling yourself and saying, hey, calm down for a minute, right. and there are other possibilities, and hey, something could have happened, but until it does, why am I worrying about it, right? Apprehension about something that we don't know is just, it, all it does is exhausts you, burns you out, makes all that. So, you know, mom worrying about all the things that could go wrong, I think a lot of times those worries will actually really go away or be reduced or controllable as long as you've done certain things. Exactly. And and if you've done these safety measures, then I think it's really important to calm yourself because you've done all you can do. You know, and maybe sit in the other room and just keep an eye on things and um it'll start to teach you, Oh, okay, so nothing's happening. It's okay. He yeah. can't really get out. It's fine. Yeah. And just reframing your thoughts and not letting yourself get carried away with the negative thoughts.
0: Absolutely. That's so important. I you know, the taking action thing, and that was one of the things yep. that she and I discussed is that I, I said, you know, I'm I'm so Even though you're having the anxiety, you didn't get paralyzed. You took action. You add another lock to the door, you took some action. But I do think it's important with elopement that all the list of things that you went through. There's a company called If I Need Help that are parents that have an eloper that they created QR codes, mm-hmm. very cost-effective, very inexpensive. You can get them to iron on shirts. Yeah, um, I love So that, that if your child is, love then that. they can scan the QR code and it tells them exactly. Um, the police are really in tune with that. But the GPS that you talked about, how many parents. So easy um, now to yeah. have a GPS. And often your insurance or your state, if you, um, I know in New York State, uh, in fact, Chuck Schumer passed legislation that um, they would pay for it. The state would pay for it if you need. And I don't, I don't know other states that have that, but I know a lot of insurance companies, if you say to them, my child is an eloper, they will pay yep. for one of these devices. I do want to say that many of the self-advocates that we know get very antsy around this kind of topic and say, well, you're terrorizing the child if there's an alarm. Or it's, it's unkind it's if you're putting... Uh, a bracelet on an adult that they can't take off that shows where they are. I do want to point out um, that everybody is cognizant of those things. But first of all, as far as the alarms go, they put these in stores. Yeah. Right. It's, this is not like singling out people. Uh, you know, my son once triggered the the exit door at the Walmart that has the big sign that says "Not an exit," and he pushed it, and the alarm went off, and he jumped 38 feet. He was terrified. Feet. Yeah. And and it wasn't because Walmart was trying to terrify him. What,
1: what and what happened? Did he, oh, he learned. He
0: learned you don't touch that door. Exactly. Right? Um, and so it's not that it's it, it really is a safety measure. We're not asking everyone to put it on their door. We're talking about a child that's eloping. And we do know what the number one, the reason why mom is is having the anxiety is because we all know what the number one cause of death for individuals who are on the autism spectrum is, and that is drowning from elopement or being hit by a car because of elopement. Those are the the top two. Um, So there is a reason to protect these individuals until they understand the inherent dangers in their environment. Absolutely, Um, absolutely. So so I I just wanted to give that little disclaimer.
1: Definitely, and you know, Shannon, like a lot of parents will, for instance, when they're worried about just typically developing teenagers, let's say, you know, they will definitely, like, uh, put some sort of tracking device on their car or, like, a a thing that measures whether or not the the child is intoxicated when they're getting in the car. So these are things we do to protect our children, yes. right? Whether yeah. on the spectrum or not, we are trying to be protective of the child who doesn't necessarily, is not aware of the dangers that are around. Absolutely. And again, another thing that I think is really wonderful is, and also, by the way, we do this with our seniors as well. Like a lot of se- in fact, a lot of these devices were made for individuals who have Alzheimer's who yep. end up wandering And, you know, you want to try to find them and get them back home. And that's really the purpose of this. Yes, yes. I want
0: to say good morning to all the folks that are watching us. Uh, Dr. Nagpal, Brian, Laurie, so glad that you're here with us. Luisba, Paula's here with us. Thank you, Paula. Good morning to you. Top of the morning to you because Paula comes to us from Ireland. Uh, Dark Angel, so glad that you're here. Parker's here. Amanda's here with her blue hearts uh and uh we were reminding Lori and La- yeah, yes Lori's and here mother. uh we're reminding everybody that you if you this isn't enough for you uh, this hour
1: with Dr. Grampuchet, you can tune in to her on TikTok TikTok Instagram I'm like all over social media and I'm actually getting a lot of questions and it's nice Kind of way for me to answer individual questions, so yeah. I'm trying to do a lot of that there so too. So
0: make sure you check her out there. So Dr. Nuk Paul wrote in this morning and said, "What way can we provide auditory stimulation to a child who is continuously clapping, stamping feet, and hitting objects to teeth?
1: Yeah. So I guess my first question is: You are assuming that the child is doing these things because he or she needs auditory stimulation. I I think that's where you're coming from. That's why I'm reading it. Yeah, And I'm not sure that they're doing these things for auditory stimulation. So I think the first thing is to identify the function of these types of behaviors, right? So the continuous clapping could very well be um, stamping feet. Maybe, I don't know, but let's make sure that there's no other function for these types of behaviors and hitting objects to teeth Um, that could very well be some other sensory type of need but um, if if you're I guess if your main question is how do we provide auditory stimulation so there's a lot of different things you can do Um, First of all, I'm a big fan of getting our kids involved with music. A lot of the kids love music so much. And it just gives them a... I mean, even if I don't have any uh, sign, I guess, from the child that they might be musical, I will still put a musical instrument in the room and just see. Like, a lot of times, just a keyboard of some type, and the child will start. I mean, and it is... Pretty spectacular when you see a child, you know, going to a musical instrument and keeping themselves occupied and even, like, developing music and songs and, and beats and so on. So definitely introduce them to music. There's lots of different ways to do that. There are, you know, kinder music classes if the child is really young. Or just if you have someone who can play an instrument having them start to teach your child a little bit of the beginning of the instrument, that would tell you if that's that's the way to go. The other thing I love and I often use for a lot of different things are the noise-canceling headphones. And uh, honestly, I just th- feel that the, they're a really good tool for our kids, not only, you know, teaching a child that they can have their own channel on Spotify and they can play the type of music that they like. I love to have a cozy corner for the child with, let's say, a giant bean bag and their headphones there attached to some uh, device that they you teach them how to use and they can go there, put the headphones on and just get out of whatever hyper-stimulation the environment might be causing them. Um, but also just for them to be able to access noise-canceling headphones when they are in overly stimulating environments. Like when, <clears throat> let's say, They go to an event or a party or even outside. I had a child who really would like be completely unable. He lived in New York City, obviously. The sounds in New York City are ridiculous to begin with. But it was very, very hard for this child to even go outside and go for a walk with his nanny or something until we actually gave him noise-canceling headphones and tinted sunglasses. And then he would put those on and a hat on and that gave him, I guess, enough shelter from the stimuli around him that he was willing to go for a walk. Yeah. And it was life-changing for him, you know. he w- And he, to this day, he's an adult now, still does that. Like, he loves to be, it gives him a sense of calm. And in fact, not even, we're talking neurotypical people will often do that as well. Well, you see teenagers, for instance who are probably shy or, you know, uncomfortable in their environment putting on headphones. Yes, it looks cool, but it also kind of isolates them from what's going on. And that gives the child the ability to feel a little bit safe. But so not just uh, giving you auditory stimulation, but also giving you the ability to shut off auditory stimulation when they want that.
0: Interesting. Yeah. I, I, I loved what you were saying too about musical instruments. I sort of want to like make a poster now that says, let's make sure that all children with autism have access Just to a musical instrument. I was reading a post amazing, yesterday yeah. that somebody put and they said, you know, if you want to teach children to focus, mm-hmm. have them learn a, a musical instrument. If you want to teach children to cooperate, have them be part of a musical ensemble. Yes, yes. If you want to oh, teach... Right? I love that. And it was all these things that if you want to teach children how to problem solve, how to wait, how to be patient, have them be part of a musical ensemble. How amazing. And I, and I thought about that and was so thrilled that uh, when my son was in junior high, he didn't have a long time, but he played the trumpet for two years in junior high in this band with this band teacher who was incredible, award-winning band teacher, and and just two days before, he was talking about something. He said, "Oh, I learned in band, and it wasn't something musical related." Right. And I and I went, "Oh, that's so fascinating." So uh, for anybody who's out there, put musical. music into your child's life no matter what, but a musical instrument if possible, and to play with a group, think about all the social ramifications of playing and belonging. Absolutely. Uh, Amazing.
1: Yeah, and even if it's not, you know, I'm not a musical person. I used to play the piano when I was a child, but I don't know how to do that anymore, so... But just something like a tambourine or a triangle or something that so the child realizes, oh, a beat, you know, and right. they get into it. A lot of times our kids really love that.
0: And, and eventually when they learn it well enough, oh, it's my turn here. Yes. And it's my turn there. At, at my son's um, elementary school, they had bells. Yes, where exactly. The, where, exactly. You would, where you just pick up the bell and you do this, but you had to wait till it was your turn to play the thing.
1: Exactly. Oh, I would
0: marvel at how the kids could do it. Because Absolutely. I have no rhythm.
1: No, me too. But I mean, just <laughs> yeah. finishing up with our response to Dr. Nike Pal, I wanted to say so then you start to teach the child to clap or stamp feet to the beat, to the music. You sort of, what we call SD control, you get it under the control of this is when you do it. If there is no music, we're not doing those things. We're just doing it to the beat of music. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, Luispa says, What can be
0: happening when a child stares for moments many times during the day. They've already done an EEG, and it came out normal, and whenever I touch her, she is able to react, but I would like to know what that might be. Yeah.
1: Um, I don't, you know, and this is a, says child, so I don't want to get you down the wrong path by any means, but you know, depending on how long this is going on and if the child, when you say you touch her, she reacts, if she actually comes out of the staring. um, You know, sometimes people describe catatonic episodes this way, and I don't know if this could be. It's very, very, very unlikely, Mm -hmm but perhaps you can explain to us a little bit more how long it is and how often it happens and what is the chi- is the child staring at any particular object or do they just kind of freeze? That's kind of what I need to know because my, my initial instinct would be to say, yeah, please do get checked for seizures and it sounds like you already have but then if you could tell us a little bit more about what the behavior actually looks like, that would be helpful. Okay. So we'll look forward to
0: hearing back from you about that. Dark Angel would like to know, can you please break down how I can teach my child at home? We use play therapy in Canada, and I feel like play should be a part of the therapy, but not all. Can a child a uh, pr- pronunciation prove with time?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, that's a great question, Dark Angel. And we, a lot of play is, you can absolutely engage with play. But, uh, you know, the way that we do engage with play is to use it as an intermittent reinforcer in between teaching. So it's sort of, and, and you do use some play for teaching as well. But The concept of um, play therapy on its own, to me, it doesn't, it's not enough. It's not structured enough to catch the child up with all the different things they have to learn. Like, there's a lot that our kids have to learn, right? I mean, you have a ton of material that you have to teach. So I don't think that play will get us there in time. But being playful and doing a lot of intermittent play in between the teaching yeah. is very important because otherwise the child is not really interested and and or reinforced right yeah. so i think that uh, including play in an aba type structured program is really important in fact playing and then and then let me just separate that for a minute because play skills are its own curriculum like there's a whole area of teaching children about play and how to play with each other and how to take turns and how to share and all those types of things as well but you know the concept of play therapy to me is a little we we, I, i feel like there's not enough time and if you do just play therapy to me if a child that needs a lot of intervention there's just not enough time and you need to have a little bit more structure so you can get a little bit more content in
0: I'm going to say this because I want to put it out into the universe. Please. I keep wanting to do some sort of a program or a show where we show actual, really good ABA therapy. Yeah, because this is the great disservice in the world that I see right now. That it's I feel like I constantly am trying to explain to people the color blue, and they've never seen blue before. Yeah, but when you see a really yeah. good therapist like the like C.J. Miyaki comes to mind. Yeah, like because. A lot of the things that we've already talked about today, I can remember, and I had the benefit of ABA, but I, the way it was built at the time that I had it, I was forced to be at home, and I had baby cameras so that I could watch the whole thing, and I compulsively sat and watched it, which is why I'm sitting here now. Mm-hmm. And I wish that upon everybody, and I will say that some of the things that happened in COVID is that some parents were forced yeah. to be in their home and sure. watching it, and they would write and go, I get it now, Shannon, I get it. But I remember the first time, my son was somebody who would go out every single door yeah. and it was a struggle and I would chase him and I didn't know how to play with him and all of these different things. And I remember the first time that a good therapist stood at the door and my son went to open the door and they just put their hand on it and they said, my door, <laughs> my door. And, and then they said, let's go do the marble run, right? And then, and then, and he, was, and then he was like, oh, Okay, then it's clearly not my door. It's their door. I can't go out it, right? And I was like, it's that easy? Are you kidding me? Now, it wasn't that easy. We had to do that a million times in a million different ways. But that one thing helped. Absolutely. That was one step on the way. But then they go over to the marble run and they go, you know, whatever it was that we were teaching that week. Yeah. You know, it could be, you know, what color is the marble? And, and, and then he would say blue and they would go, yes, yes, blue, tickle him. And then they'd go, okay, you put it up. Should we go, should we do this or this first? And every single moment of that play yes. with the marble run was something that they were teaching him. That's whether it was true. taking a turn or whatever. That's so it was true. incorporated. It was focused into, he had more fun mm-hmm. than, than you could shake a stick at.
1: So that's, actually, I'm glad you said that, Shannon, because that, like, to clarify, and let's talk about that for a minute. So what they were doing with him was generalization, right? And that is, when you get to the point of kind of using the concepts that you've already learned in the natural environment, and in this case it was in a game, in a toy, in a playful manner. but. The key to it is that they had already mastered colors. Yes. And that is kind of where I was going, because if you start with just doing NET or natural environment play therapy, Mm -hmm. it takes a really long time to teach colors that way. And if you've done colors, let's say, in a more discreet trial manner earlier, then generalizing it and doing it during real life is just something that happens naturally, and it's playful, and it's fun, and so on. But it is really important, you know, those stages in the beginning when you're teaching colors, it's a lot, oh, right? It's, it's like is. red on its own, then red against a neutral distractor, then another color on its own, yeah. then rotate the two targets, then you know, so, and then apply them to objects and then have color object discrimination. So it's a lot of steps that we do in teaching something, and then it's like, oh, okay, the child really does know now these colors, so let's take them and put them in our play. Yes. Or in there, like another, you know, generalization for colors is all, is like uh, clothing, you know, getting dressed and picking yeah. the red socks or the blue socks or whatever yeah. it is. And then it becomes a useful topic, yes. right, that you can actually do these things with. But a lot of people, like, play therapy on its own is missing that first part. Yes. Which is kind of the the you know, trial-by-trial trial teaching yeah. of the concept. And that takes a long time. When you don't have that part, it takes a really long time to teach your concepts.
0: Yes, but I think where the where the disconnect is, you know what the arc looks like. Yeah. Because how many millions of times have you done right, it? Right. I know what the arc looks like because I watched it in my home over four years, five yes, years, really. Yes, yes. But I didn't know in the first year when they were doing it, I didn't understand it. And I just think... When we see ABA, we see just the part where they 're teaching in the trials, and that looks like it's not fun, and the child is not having fun, but done right, that can be fun and mm-hmm. and with all the things that are done around, it, I just want so badly for and people the reason to see why I, for people to see that, and the reason why is because the most amazing thing happened when Jem was getting therapy. My mother came to visit when we were six months in, yeah, and we were watching in the other room on the monitor, and my mother was like, "This is the stupidest thing i've ever seen." <laughs> She was yes. like, Shannon, I, I, I'm so sorry. It I, does I know look that way. I room. know you've told me supporter silence, but this is the stupidest thing I've ever seen and that you've gone all in and you're such a and zealot for it scares for me, yeah. It. it scares me for you because I feel like it's a cult that you now belong to. And, I mean, we yeah, had that yeah, whole talk yeah, and I yeah. said, just watch, Mom just watch. And she watched and for over, over a period of five days. And at the end of five days, and they were doing the thing with him where they were teaching features of things. And they were, and they were Mm -hmm. like, you know, so, you know, what is it? It, you know, it's, it's a, it's a bird and it has wings and all this stuff. And, and they were prompting him the whole way. And my mother was like, this is so unbelievably stupid. And then at, by, you know, four days later, at one point, somebody put the little statue of the bird there, and they said, Jem, what is it? He said, it's a bird, and a bird has wings, and a bird flies. And my mother stood up in the other room and went, oh, my God, yeah. this is the most amazing thing. Why aren't people talking about this? Yeah, yeah. This is a brilliant way of teaching people. And he's loving it. And, and she was a convert forevermore yeah. after that. And I, I always think, oh, my God, if we could just show people that art." Yeah, Um, yeah. Anyway, it's my soapbox. But you know,
1: Shan, there's so much, I completely understand, and I used to actually, I had parents that would come to me in the beginning, and I would get a sense at the very beginning at intake, that I would get a sense from them that they might not do well with ABA, (laughs) right? And I would always suggest to them, why don't you go and observe someone, one of our other clients, and make sure this is for you right? because it is a, it is a, you have to be patient, right? There's yeah. a, it's a very step-by-step type of intervention, but the beauty of it is that you, you master things step-by-step as well. It's not like, oh, we have these goals and at the end of the year you will be there We have these goals and next week we'll be there and then we'll add new goals and then next week, you know what I mean? They're smaller goals and then all of a sudden before you know it, you're at a point where it's like, whoa, they're all put together and it makes sense.
0: Yes. But being able to see it is everything. I, you know, I always yeah. referred to it as the ABA. I, I refer to ABA as the autism miracle in my living room. Yeah. And yeah. I still feel that way. Um, and I, I'm going to keep singing that song. Uh, okay. So I wanted to get to uh, more questions here. Um, okay. Uh, for a 20 month old, is it home therapy better than clinic based therapy? Uh, and I just said that I had home therapy because I, I, clinic-based wasn't available to me.
1: Yeah, and 20 months old is very, very young. Um, I guess, you know, we did some studies. I want to try and be kind of scientific in my answer, and then I'll give you my gut feeling. We did a lot of studies to determine if overall home or or clinic would be more beneficial. And I had always done home. We, we used to do a lot of home therapy, right? And that's how kind of like how we started at UCLA, so we always did that. And I thought it would be home, yeah. but it ended up being that you were learning a lot, lot, lot faster in the clinics. And that's, For a number of different reasons, I would think. I mean, you ask, you know, why, and you have to go back and surmise why. The data showed us that it's almost twice as fast when you're in the clinic. Why? Okay, well, maybe because there's not as many distractions, maybe because this therapist is working harder because they're being watched at a clinic. Whatever the reason is, there's a lot more of learning going on at a more rapid pace at the clinic's. When we're talking about a child who's below the age of two, it can be difficult, right, to have them spend hours and hours at a clinic because typically a child below age two also is not toilet trained um, and they will need breaks, they will need snacks, they will need naps. Those types of things are more readily done in the home. So perhaps as your child is that young, perhaps you do a little bit of both and then you see how things are working and then you gradually, as the child ages, increase the center-based or clinic-based therapy as they approach age three. Um, But I do think that it is, personally, I feel like it's appropriate to have some home therapy when they're that young because you know, you're going to still be giving the child naps, and yeah. you're going to be doing, you're going to be teaching the child a lot of activities that require them to be in home.
0: Can I just say one thing, though? Because I have seen the benefits of both, and yeah. and I think that um, clinic based. I've seen how how much faster kids can learn, and I've I've seen what a what a pressure valve release it is for parents because then you can work and you can have a break and you can have time off. But I think the big asterisk for me is if you're going to do clinic-based, don't abdicate all your responsibility yeah. and go let them do it. You have to stay involved. You have to ask what they were learning. So you important. have to ask, do your parent um, you know, training or whatever they call it yep. so that you learn the techniques that you're doing. Because if, you, if it just happens at the center and it doesn't happen at home, you will greatly shortchange your child. Such a good point.
1: You, Such a good point. Like, that is such an important factor. You're absolutely right. And as a parent, you know, we all need a break. Oh, <laughs> we need oh, a break. Yeah. But don't think of it as, you know, unless you know, when you drop your child off for a clinic treatment, unless you feel like you could be the therapist and you're just as caught up as all the other therapists, then great. Then you can, you're, yeah. uh, this is your not your shift. You can yep. go relax. Yeah. But if you don't know and if, you, if there's learning to be had, please learn. Because every parent needs to be the strongest therapist on the team, yep. honestly. Because if you're, who's going to care as much as you? No one. So if you have to be the person that is driving and pushing and asking questions and bringing up issues and making sure that everyone is consistent and that they're working on the things that are important to you.
0: Yeah. My
1: therapist that used to
0: come into the home used to notice that I put signs all over my house for me. Yeah. And one of the signs that was on the bathroom mirror so that I could never miss it said, Jem's team is only as strong as the weakest player. Exactly. And that will not be me. I love that. And that was what I was on my that. mirror. And then I looked at it every single day. And there were days when I was the weakest player on the team. And you know what? What's good about that is that that means you've got a great team. But I would run to catch up with them. And I would That's, say to them, teach that. me what you know, because I won't be the weakest person on, on this team.
1: That's a, that, and that honestly makes a huge difference. I mean, I can say as, as a lead clinician, as having been on so many teams and observing so many teams... With parents who are involved, when there are parents who are involved, and sometimes you have actually both parents involved. More often, though, you have one because the other parent has to take care of everything else. But when you have a parent who is involved, the team as a whole just functions better.
0: Yeah, I think everybody rises. Everybody rises,
1: everybody's focused, everybody's doing the right thing, everybody's in the right path. Yeah. And you have off days. Like, don't think that don't think that I was. There were
0: days when I couldn't do it, wouldn't do it. And I always say to our therapists, you, you know, you made me a better person on those days because you showed me what was still left to be had. Yeah. So let me also say that. Parker wrote in with a personal question that really is touching my heart. He says, my aunt and uncle were supposed to come in today, but for reasons beyond anybody's control. Um, they didn't, weren't able to come. And he and his uncle have a very deep relationship and he hasn't been able to see him for a year and a half due to them moving. He said, I'm handling it surprisingly well, but I'm afraid in the next few days I might have huge meltdowns when this hits fully, help me and my family. And I just want to say, Parker, I just spent the last 11 days with my two little grandnieces. And they usually come every year um, and I get to see them for a couple of days. This time their parents left them with me. I was with them for 11 days and whenever they leave, I feel bereft. Huh. I feel bereft. Yeah. Because it's like, you know, you're, it just, I don't know. My life is yeah. more enriched when they're there yeah. and they left. And and so I said yesterday, my husband said, how are you doing? I said, I have the melancholies." Yes. yes, um, yes. And, you know,
1: but it's scary when you have that feeling because it doesn't know when it ends. I yeah. relate greatly, Parker. Sending you love. I do. And, and Parker, I also want to say, like, I understand where you're coming from, but I'm always so amazed at how analytic you are and how you are able to observe yourself and analyze yourself and just, uh, you know, kind of predict things. I mean, I just love the way you think. It's, it's so powerful. I want to I wanna challenge you, Parker, to uh, give yourself more credit than that. I want you to believe that you're going to be fine and that you are going to, there's absolutely no reason for you here to have fear about you being able to handle them not coming. Missing someone is a very, very good thing. It's a wonderful emotion, and you can miss them without falling apart. You can uh, pick up the phone and Zoom with this uncle and have lots of contact via, you know, Zoom or some other type of Uh, software that allows you to actually see them and talk to them and you can do that until they're able to come. And I believe in you. I know that you can actually handle this. I don't think you're going to fall apart by any means. And I think there are a lot of other ways that you can kind of satisfy that melancholy, as Shannon said. Um, And, you know, write them cards. And it's one of the things I love is like when you receive mail from someone that you love and miss And plan the next visit so that you have to, you have something to look forward to. But, you know, don't worry about having a huge meltdown. There's no, there's no benefit in worrying about it. If the day comes that you feel very, very depressed because they're not there, then you you know there are things you can do to cheer yourself up at that moment. But let's not worry about it until it happens. Yeah. One of the things that we've been doing
0: is um, playing a game together. Um, no, I love that. A game I love that, that. A game that you play separately, but then you compare notes. Yes. Like what level are you? A lot of people on. do that now. Everybody's doing Wordle. Yeah. Like maybe if you would just play Wordle with your uncle every day and check in with each other through text about how many did you get it in. It's that connection.
1: You know, it's but. funny, uh, Shannon. I've been lately really, really interested in, as you know, like the whole. Uh, virtual reality and the metaverse. Yeah. I've been, like, trying to learn as much as I can, and I was yeah. reading these articles on kind of what is the metaverse and how does this work, and they, um, this article was talking about early games that could be classified as the earliest versions of the metaverse, and, of course, one of them was... Um, what was the game that both of our sons were into where they would go in and build... Oh, Minecraft? Minecraft, yeah. Minecraft. And... It was, and it is now even still, a game where kids can, and there's so many other games now, where you actually are interacting with someone who's on the other side of the world, oh, yeah. and the way that you're interacting is you're kind of doing your own thing, and then they come and do their own thing, and between the two of you, you're building a community. Yeah. And so, Parker, that is a great idea. Anything yeah. like that, any type of, and there, Wordle is a good one. There's so many of these group games now um, Mom was Farm something, and like... Yeah, Farmville. You, and Farmville, and there's so many of these games Animal now. Crossing
0: is a big popular there one. There you go,
1: and you can, you can engage in one of those as well with
0: your uncle. There you go. Try that. Uh, now, Brian has written in and said that verbal stim script behavior pattern is occurring frequently now and impairing and preventing interaction. My 5-year-old ASD son has taken to constantly, without stopping 30 to 40 minutes... Counting, one hundreds, one thousands, even is okay. But he jumps into sequences of millions, billions, trillions, Google and zillion uh, onto creating his own. Recently, he went from prep time for out the door to reach summer school, constantly counting, going through breakfast, teeth, socks, shoes, into car trip to summer school, arrive at school without stopping as he went into the open area alone. This is impairing and will make learning in the classroom not possible and not acceptable. Any input is valuable, um, and that he will also reach out to us. And I feel like he said further down, ABA was great for him uh, early at 18 months, uh, in home and daycare, and later very valuable in his pre-K up to age four. Everyone should know the value of ABA outside home in the pre-K social setting without mom and dad uh and and guess uh, guess what it was a load off of us but this counting i think is uh very concerning
1: to dad please don't be concerned first of all because i actually see this as a wonderful thing okay don't we like that yeah Uh (laughs) i have seen a lot of kids who are like this and It's actually a skill. It's a savant skill. It's a very, very... I had a child who used to count every single thing. Oh, my God. And initially, it was like it would drive us crazy, right? Right. But we got to the point... uh, We did a number of different things. We, first of all, taught him how to uh, just, like, spend a lot of time, uh, you know, doing things other than counting. And it was just any activity, like... Uh, I, you know, uh, narrating something like, I am coloring, this is the color of blue, whatever it was, because while he was narrating this other activity, he couldn't count, right? Ah. And so we then, and but it, let me tell you, it was hard because he saw it, patterns that we didn't see in his environment, mm-hmm. and it was almost impossible to stop him. For instance, if he was in this room, he would have counted all the tiles on tiles, the ceiling. Yeah. He would have counted the doorways. He would have counted the, the boxes on the walls. He would have everything. And, yeah. you know, over time, we got him to the point where he start, He would uh, count in his mind. Yeah. But it was really, he was very smart. Kids who are number kids are extremely intelligent. And he learned how to, he still does it to this day. He was at my house a couple of years ago because his his parents are actually friends of mine. Uh-huh. And he was at my house, and he, he's so good at, like, he masks it now because right. he's so super genius. This kid, by the way, like, was one of those kids that could... I've had, you know, recount the number pi all the way, like 500 digits after. Right. But so he was so, he's so smart because he knows that he's not supposed to be counting all the time because (laughs) it takes away from his social environment. Right. But he does still, but he does it so quickly and he kind of puts it away and continues to socialize that, you know, he came in and he was like, do you know that your pool is like, you know, 200 and something Uh, whatever, um, inches, which is really the same as, you know, and he had counted it. And I was like, oh, my gosh, he's still doing it. (laughs) But our kids learn, I mean, and that is just a brilliant thing. And I would recommend to you that you actually start looking at, and I don't know the age of the child, but Five. 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 You should probably get him, first of all, I would start by getting him tested. I would definitely do an IQ test because you're going to want to identify his, his intelligence quotient right now, and it's going to be pretty high, and it's going to be skewed. So you'll see that, like, in certain types of activities that have to do with uh, measurement and or counting or things that are ordinal, and you know, um, he'll do extremely well, mm-hmm. and in other areas he'll have a little bit of a dip, Right. right. That will give you a cue as to the types of things. In other words, don't focus on having him not count, but focus on teaching him other things. Because the counting's always going to be there. As long as he is able to do other things, then what you're going to have on your hands is just a genius who will be able to do math very early on, will be able to excel. I had a child who at the age of, I think, 9, had finished college-level math on the Khan Academy websites. In fact, introduce him to those types of uh, websites and places where he can use his mathematical skills and see if he's going to excel in that area. Sometimes our kids just need kind of a little boost to be able to go as far as they can in that area of strength. In the meantime uh you know g- fill him with other types of activities and if the counting out loud is annoying you teach him to do it in his mind there's a whole lesson that we do about you know saying versus thinking so that our kids realize that they don't have to count out loud even if he's counting in his head it doesn't have to be out loud and once it's not out loud When you start to interact and put other types of demands on him, he will stop counting in order to respond to those other demands. So it'll become a natural process of he'll realize, I have to keep up with all this other stuff. I can still count in my head, but I can't when they're putting all this other stuff on me.
0: Okay. And dad wrote in some more and hopefully you've answered for him some of the questions that he had here. He said a good thing, a question mark. He says, why would it go on for 30 to 40 minutes? Hopefully based on what Dr. Grampy Shea said, you got some insight into that. Uh, And he says he whispers it silently on the playground and home. And he says, interesting. He's, he, says, he sees uh, patterns he's, he is we don't super, see. Yeah, he says he is super smart about math, measurement, etc. And he's already passed addition, subtracting into fractions and
1: exponents. There you go. Um, and he's I, five. Yeah. So it's, you can't stop certain things. Like, think about it. You know, like, uh, we talk about musical geniuses like Mozart, right? Yeah. And they were writing symphonies when they were that young, right? Yeah. And that's because they could see patterns that the rest of us don't see. Our brains all work in different ways, yeah. and he is seeing patterns in his environment that to you and I don't look like a pattern. Yeah. But when you see that many patterns, it's a pretty natural thing to start actually counting them. Like I will tell you, like right now, Shannon, I see those those diamonds on our wall, right, right? and yeah. which are which are soundproofing uh, things, and because they are only six of them. I can immediately see them and the first thing I'll do is I'll count and I'll say there's only six of them. Right. But if there was like 200 of them, to me, it wouldn't be countable anymore. Yeah. But to our kids, and this might, have, this might be a good question for Temple when you see her, yeah. because she always talks about seeing in pictures, right? Yeah. And I think our kids are able to do these things. That yeah. child that I was saying who was nine, um, who had finished like the Khan Academy stuff, dad would show me crazy things that he could yeah. do, you know, where I got, you would take a pile. I took one time a pile of marbles. I took it out of one of these bags, right? Yeah. I just took a handful and put it on the table, and it was a pile. So it was almost impossible to count because it was a whole pile. Right. And I said, how many are there? And he immediately said something like, you know, uh, 36 or something like that. And I counted them, and there was like 24, And I said, why did you say 36? And he kept looking because the rest of the pile was in the bag. Ah. And he'd also counted what was in the bag, right? And so that would be impossible because, like, it was just virtually impossible to count that. But some of our kids can do that because they do see patterns yeah. that we don't see. And it's it's, well, it's a skill.
0: When I first met Temple, one of the first things that Temple did was told me about Khan Academy. And she said, I'm going to tell you. She asked me a bunch of questions about my son. And, she said, I'm, and I said, my son is just doing horribly at math and I don't know what to do. And she said, I'm, I'm going to guess that your child hates baby math. And he's beyond that. And she said, get him on Khan Academy and suffer through the baby math. Don't worry about it. And we did. We got him on Khan Academy, and I sort of let him self-direct, and what he self-directed to was doing um, animation, Mm -hmm. coding for animation, which is math, and it's all about coordinates and moving them, and and then he went from there to doing his own animation. But what was fascinating to me, you know, as parents, we always go, wouldn't we just want to be able to open up our child's head, take a tour, and, and, like, get in there and see what it is. Well, it was a few years ago that for Mother's Day, my husband and my son just overwhelmed me, and they gave me all these gifts. They brought a breakfast in bed, and it was all these gifts and everything. And then at one point, my husband showed his phone, and he said, oh, we also got you this. And it was a photograph of a man holding all these kittens. Okay. Like, a, a a whole, a whole ton, ton of, of kittens and he goes we got you a bouquet of kittens too and he just flashed the picture at us and put it away and then later in the conversation I said something like oh and and you know and you were going to give me 32 kittens and Jem turned and he said oh no there were 26 <laughs> and I said are you serious there were 26 and I said are you saying that because you're guessing and he goes what are you talking about no there were 26 kittens yeah. and I said get the phone out and he had only flashed it at him for a second. We looked at it, and, and I said, get the phone out, get the picture up. And then I went through, and I it enlarged counted. it, yeah. and I counted, and there were 26. And yeah. I said to my fully verbal son at that point, how did you know there were 26? And he's like, how did you not know there were 26? Yeah. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 I want to know how. And he said, oh, my brain takes a picture of it, and he, and said, he said, and then I can move them to the side, and move it, and, and, it, and he can do it like that. And I, I love said, that. "You can." Yeah, and he said, "You can't." Uh,
1: exactly.
0: And I, love I said, that. "No, I, I can't do that.
1: that." That's amazing, isn't it? And it's I thought, incredible. "Wow,
0: that's that's that thing that I always wanted to know." And he was able to explain it to me now. I love and that. And that he can do it at
1: the speed of lightning. Yes, and so, and what an amazing gift, right? Oh, and especially yeah. what a gift in this day and age where. We are heading into the, you know, artificial intelligence and data uh, and computer science and so much more than we ever did before. We need these kids. So we need these kids. And, you know, I've always said it's amazing that society is also changing in a way that a lot of our kids will have a place. Yes. Because they are going to be the geniuses that can manage this kind of stuff.
0: Yes. So, Brian, the responsibility is to build the world around him so that he has a place for that. That's, That's going right. to be a different. But I think maybe the less fear that it's weird and that it's going to hold him back, well, but you've got to find the path to let him flourish.
1: Absolutely. And then when you do, it becomes, you know, when we're doing these activities, you can count. When we're doing these activities, you have to talk. When yeah. we're doing these and it just starts to kind of divide, but he's getting now his outlet. Yeah. He's able to and he will have his social world there
0: as well, I promise you. Yeah. And of course the movie that comes to mind with our fabulous Joe Montaigne, who is an, an autism dad, searching for Bobby Fisher yes. is about when you have a child that's a genius and can see things that you can't see. That's right. And it's a big responsibility. Anyway, we're out of time and I, I didn't get to all the we're questions. Out of time. I know. We could stay here another hour, but I love you all so much i 'm sending particular hug to uh, our dear friend Christina, who had written in and said how much she 's missing her aba oh. and uh, and how people don 't know what they have until they lose it, and sending you hugs. I, w- I hope you get a break really soon uh, and <clears throat> to everyone else that we didn 't get your question. Thank you so much for being here and uh, and also for noting that I believe it was yesterday that was actually the 32nd anniversary of ADA. Mm. Uh, but somebody is saying it's today. I'm going to check that, but I thought it was yesterday. But uh, celebrating the Americans with Disabilities Act. And, what an amazing And thing. for anybody uh, that lived in a time before that, you know we, we are blessed to have that. Absolutely. So uh, we're going to be back tomorrow. We're doing a whole show about back to school tomorrow, which I'm very excited about. Uh, So we hope that it, and for people are going back at different times, but some of you are going back in days and some of you are going back in in a month, but there are things that we need to be thinking about right now to get us ready and we're going to cover it top to bottom tomorrow okay all right thank you uh, everyone but we'll be back with you next week uh, and until then everybody give uh, yourselves a hug from me and one for your kiddo too bye bye for now bye everyone